21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Good morning, everybody. We are recording live from uh, GES uh, today on the show uh, for our, I think it's our seventh episode of the GES Insightful Classroom uh, Teacher Series. I've got my colleague, uh, Simon Bissell, here. He's a grade two teacher. Um, before we really get into what Simon is here to talk about, I'm just going to have Simon give some backstory into his journey and how he ended up at Coast. Well, uh, good morning, Andy. Uh, very early on the Thursday morning for this, but we'll, we'll do our best. Um, this is now my fifth year at Coast. Um, I spent four years in, in grade one and uh, now in grade two. Um, it's my ninth teaching year, um, originating from the UK, um, where I've lived with my wife um, and we've now got two children, uh, one born in Saudi Arabia and one born in the UK. Um, predominantly spent uh, most of my teaching career uh, teaching kind of four to seven-year-old children, um, a bit of experience around the ten-year-olds, uh, but mostly kind of early elementary or primary, as you call it, in the UK. Um, Which part um, of the UK? Uh, Northern England. Okay. Yeah, just north of Manchester. Um, so, um, yeah, my journey to Coust, a bit of a weird one, really, because it's actually my wife who who got the post first. Yeah. Um, she works in HR at the university, um, and I managed to get a get an interview with Kyle Brewerton, who was the, the principal here a few years back, um, and it kind of went from there. So I, I came to Koust as a dependent spouse in Saudi Arabia, yeah. um, and I had about three or four months at home with my little boy, which nice. was extremely challenging, yeah. um, and then I, I came straight into grade one, so it's been a, a, a great five years. Yeah, excellent. Um, you've got a quite a sport background that we'll we'll get into after you share the big ideas of of what you're going to share today. We'll get into your sport background because I'm always, you know, coming from a sport background myself. I'm interested to hear people's uh, journeys and kind of their big lessons learned from sport and how they apply to teaching. But um, we'll talk about that later. But what are you here to talk about today and to share? Um, my class in grade two have just um, completed. Um, a unit based um, around uh, people uniting for a purpose. That was a central idea. Um, and as Andy says, my, my sporting background, I thought, right, it'd be great to get them to kind of plan an event. Um, what was the challenge was me not leading them as a teacher. Um, obviously, coming from grade one, it's it's not always as um, inquiry-led, depending on what you're getting from the children. Um, so some things are a bit more explicit than others. So I think that was a major challenge for me um, as a teacher. Um, and really it was those kind of concepts of communication, cooperation, how they organise themselves, um, just how they work as a group, really. Yeah. Um, um, which is quite challenging for a bunch of seven- or eight-year-olds. Um, and it actually brought up quite a few interesting issues that... Um, kind of adults come across. Right. And the big ideas that you mentioned here, communication, cooperation, organization, uh, roles and responsibilities, uh, for those listening uh, that are not PYP teachers, primary years program teachers, 
the things that Simon just mentioned are um, under the big umbrella of the approaches to learning, the transdisciplinary skills, which are really important skills to embed within a unit. So to make them the, the driving themes of the unit is really relevant for them because those are skills that they really need moving up in school. Yeah, definitely. And I think they're almost... Um they're kind of life skills. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we, we came to the conclusion that really communication is that big one. If you can't talk to people, um, then it, you, you really are going to struggle. Um, and it was really left up to them as much as I could. Um, a lot of the other teachers in my year group were, were questioning, well, how much are you leading them into this? Was it your idea? And it, it really wasn't. Um, obviously, uh, in school, they are actually getting used to a sports day. Um during this unit, uh, the PE team was heavily integrated, um, basically getting them used to the games and stuff yeah. like that. So it was almost a bit of a piggybacking onto that, really. Um, and it was left pretty much up to them. A lot of questioning. Um, I had to think a lot of my a lot of my planning was almost what to ask them, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes it was right. I'm going. I'm leading them too much into this. Yeah. So really, it wasn't almost. Um, how am I going to do this or what? how each lesson is going to progress. It was what am I doing which is, is going to kind of lead, leave them enough into it um, to kind of come to their own conclusions. That, and that, again, as you said, like planning for the good questions and not wanting to lead them but ask them the right questions. And sports day, I think, is uh, at the beginning of December, late November. Uh, and the PE team, like you said, has really been working on preparing them for that. So it's such a natural fit you know so i I really like what you did to kind of uh, put ownership in their hands because each of the classes can do something different for their summative task or culminating task so take us more through how you kept going down that path and uh, bringing that up so once um my class had decided yes we want to organize an event it's going to be a sports day um we kind of split ourselves into subgroups um this was where, yes, I did come into it because we had to see, well, um, when is the best time to run a sports day? Um, so we went and did some surveys. So again, for, for certain children in my class who are, are very quiet, very reserved, that is a great way of getting them communicating, not just with their peers, but also with adults, getting them asking questions, being polite, having the confidence to go up to somebody and, and ask them a question yeah. um, is, is great. And it also throws up more um, problems because um, I remember going around and seeing um, a group of five students and one of them had basically gone and asked somebody um, for their results, their data, and then they were all just copying that data down. Right. So of course... I left that for them and thought, well, why have you all got the same data? And I said, oh, well, because um, Lee went and asked uh, Mr. Woodcock, well, did you go and ask them? Oh, no. Well, why have you copied? And it's yeah. like, is that data really useful? Um, so that threw up, again, more more real-life type of things. Yeah. And Just to clarify one thing, so you're talking about planning a sports day, but for those listening, the PE team is planning a whole school sports day at the beginning of December. This sports day has nothing to do with that. This is a separate, like kind of a mini sports day that your your kids want to plan f- for, for the kids in their um, – age group yeah so this is a completely separate initiative yeah no yeah. As, as terms of the the sports day know the PE team is running a whole school one um we decided to just make this for for grade two again that was a, a, a child um 
decision. Um, and of course, that brings its own challenges because with over 140 children, that's quite a big event, mm-hmm. um, especially when you consider children are planning this. Um, so then organisation came into it, obviously the sub-teams, who's going to get the equipment, um, what games are we going to play? Mm-hmm. Um, that was possibly a, a big problem because some games, as you as you know, Andy, for, from PE background, are not suitable for big groups. Right. Um, they wanted to play soccer, basketball, a lot of the more common type of things. Who can play basketball? Is that going to be accessible for all, all students? Um, so that was a big thing. And then, of course, the games team didn't communicate with the equipment team. So it was interesting to kind of watch this and then see the little trigger points that, oh, we need to speak to you so that we can do our job. That's great. Um, And then we just kept linking it back to real life. Um, My my actual degree is in history and politics, so I wasn't obviously telling them what type of political arena it was, but it was good to show them videos of, of different parliaments, different stuff, obviously coming from the UK, the House of Commons, they weren't united, and it was they were they were actually coming up children with, oh, why are they shouting? Um, yeah, why yeah. why is he um, doing these things with his hands? They just didn't look um, like they were united or they were co- really cooperating with right. each other. And it was great to see the little lights going off in the children's heads that they understood that this wasn't what a group should be doing. Yeah, and that trend then transmitted to to what they were doing for sports. That that discord and uh, conflict is okay because you're going to work that out through group differences and individual differences. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, another thing um, which was interesting was. Because it's a, a mixed ability class, um, as I mentioned before, you've got some children which are quite reserved, not not overly willing to to communicate. Um, it was interesting to see how others took the leading groups, um, listening to other people's opinions, um, and on some occasions there was actually too many people, too many voices um, to get anything done. And again, that's that's another issue. Um, we, we've got eight teachers on a team, and sometimes there can be fifteen people around a room in a, in a planning meeting and not a lot gets done because there's too many voices right and it was again great to see the children encountering these problems um and at some points that was the right time for me to come in trying to guide different stuff um and i'll come back to this um i said to them right pick a leader that was an amazing experience and i videoed it and it was it was amazing to see how the dynamics suddenly changed. Like, oh, you're in charge now. Yeah. Well, I don't agree with that. Yeah. And, well, listen to me. You've got to listen to me because I'm the leader. Yeah. And it was it was good to see. Um, and then that was quite purposeful because at the end of the video, I actually stepped in and said, okay, I'm now the leader. This group is doing this. This group's doing this. You have five minutes. But that was then good because we had a, a main planning sheet um, up on the on the board and the amount of things that we got sorted, problem solved, they could actually see, well, oh, because you've done that and you've given us direct tasks, we've then achieved and we've moved this task forward. Yeah. Um, so although I'd stepped in, I think that was the right time yeah. to step in as a teacher um, and as well that they, they could actually see the benefits of that. Yeah, because it, it is, a, when you think about something like this, it's easy to keep uh, these summative tasks or you know culminating tasks within control within constraints and parameters keep it inside the classroom because it's easy to do you know so 
with having uh, the kids plan an event such as this, it has to spill out into the hallways and outside their classroom. And it's a big task, you know, so it's taking a chance as a teacher to run something like this and honoring uh, kind of what they want to do and to empower them to experience what it's like to create a big event. That's something that's going to stick with them. Yeah, um, and definitely. And I think the biggest thing is you can't be afraid to let problems happen and you've just got to go with it to a certain point. Um, Because children, again, this is possibly my sporting background, but they've got to know how to deal with problems, with failure, um, and ultimately they've got to solve those problems. And a lot of the time that involves cooperating with others not just themselves um so yeah i think it was a, a really really good learning outcome and as, as you say with the summative this probably took us the best part of three weeks and we're now in week five um and i think because of the success of it the the reflections were a lot better as well what mm. the the children were coming back with after the event um what they were saying they could get better at what worked really well um no it was a really authentic purposeful task um, and a, another thing they struggled with, although they were planning the event and they'd done all that, they wanted to do it. And um, I said, well, if you're planning an event, you've got to run it, you've got to solve the problems, you've got to show the children you are the teachers in effect. And for a lot of them, they, they found that kind of idea, well, well, I'm planning it, I want to do it. It was it was very yeah, hard yeah. for them. Um, but no, on, on the day of the sports day, they were organised, they knew what they were doing. They set up their games. Uh, we we kind of did it on a, a big area outside. We've got a covered area plus a grassed area. Um, they were coming up with, well, we, we can't play tug of war on the concrete because if children slip. Great. Yeah. So they were safety. coming up with the safety issues. Yeah. Uh, they had a first aid station. They had a, a big water container. Um, so really, the only thing that, that I, I did on the day was go and get the ice from the supermarket, um, carry carry the water out, and then it was great to see them just get on with it. Yeah. And and I, I, I sat there with the, my pedagogical coordinator, Cara, and we just watched and observed. And perhaps the, the biggest thing we noticed was the change, because um, there, there were seven classes going through, so they did the same activity seven times. Mm-hmm. And the difference towards the end to the start was amazing, just how children were they were changing games because they, they realised that it fitted better, um, they were explaining, they were giving less instructions, all the things that we work yeah, on in, in lower elementary yeah. um, was, was coming through with the children and the teachers from the classes who were doing the events, it was also interesting to see them because at the start they wanted to step in when yes. my children were struggling. Yeah. And um, towards the end, they were actually stepping back and realising that, yes, they're there to kind of control children. So if, if my children are saying get into a group of four, it's kind of helping that kind of almost behaviour management type thing. Yeah. But it wasn't them who were explaining the events and running it. Yeah. And I think teachers struggle with that. Um, it's just oh, like sure. me saying, am I asking too many leading questions? We yeah. naturally want to get in there and teach and to guide. Yeah. And it's just having that confidence... Um, to pull back and let failure happen. I think of a classic example, a kindergarten uh, program where the teachers who sometimes have a bit of difficulty giving up control because they want the product to look really good will oftentimes step in when kids are struggling with scissors or gluing things and they will step in and do it for them or they'll, you know, they'll, um, kind of jump in and glue their paper for them and stick it on and say, you keep going. But really the message that that's giving is 
I'm the expert, watch me, I can do it better. You know, and although there's times like you knew when you had to step in, ask the right questions or say, no, you're doing this, you're doing that. Um, when we allow kids to experience that failure and just step back, you know, they, they will learn just like teachers learn <laughs> and, and learn to refine. So I think it's great that the teachers stood back and let, yeah. and let your kids do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, it was it was just great to see what they were doing and the problem solving and they basically they they understood the unit they know what cooperation is they know what a role is everything that was on our kind of planner and, and what we had to get through this activity summative whatever you want to call it 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 ticked the boxes yeah and it, it was great to see and it was it wasn't me leading it yeah. and that's one thing possibly coming from the uk to a pyp environment I've got a lot better at and I've had to work on is that not doing it for them like you say because yeah. um, I, I used to think yeah this is great teaching they're, they're coming forward but you can actually give children a lot more ownership than you, you think they can handle yeah. um, and, and just kind of handing it over to them Yeah. Um, and Definitely. at some points yeah you do need to, to step in yeah. um, it's the same with anything writing, maths, what, whatever it is there is some explicit time which is needed sometimes yeah. and, and skills, but it's then can they apply those skills to kind of real life problems? And, and, and the, these children of mine, have they've planned an event for 140 children and the faces coming away from it were, wow, that was that was an amazing thing to do. Yeah, and definitely. Can we do it again? And to me as a teacher, that is just, it's an amazing feeling. And although I kind of went away from the event thinking, oh, I've not, I've not done a lot there. It was how it was set up. It was how it was, it was all the planning of it. Um, and it was, it was organized. That'll really set them up and they'll remember that moving on. So uh, I want to switch gears here to your sport background. So tell us a little bit about your, your sports. So you're a large man for those of you listening, uh, Simon's (laughs) quite a large dude. Um, but talk a little bit about your, your sport background. Okay. Um, well, we actually, we returned to the UK when I was about eight years old. Um, my mum and dad had worked out in the Middle East, um, and I couldn't catch a ball, had no coordination. Um, and, and my dad, who'd played rugby um, all his life, never kind of pushed me into anything, was letting me find my own feet. And I remember to this day suddenly coming home, and my friend was at the local rugby club, and I came and said, Dad, I want to go and play rugby. And from that moment onwards, probably about nine years old, I did nothing but sport, rugby, cricket, nice. um, athletics. Um, predominantly, I went down to the athletics club just for some fitness for running. As I say, I was quite a big chubby boy as a, a child. Um, but immediately, I was not thrust onto the athletics track. I was thrust into the middle, to the shot put, to the yeah, discus. Yeah. <laughs> um, and within about a year or two, I was I was the best in my country at the discus and hammer. Um but at 16, obviously, with the rugby, I had a decision to make um, whether to go on the, the throwing route or the, the rugby, and I chose the rugby. Um, signed professionally for Wigan Warriors. Um, played there for about six years to the lower grades. Uh, a bit of first-team stuff, not much. Um, got sold, which is quite hard. <laughs> how hard, much, did, hard how much were you worth? Oh, I think it was about £10,000, not a lot. <laughs> um, they actually signed the, the Great Britain prop, Stuart Fielden. Um, so that was, to, to a 19-year-old, that was that was kind of game over. Um, but the good thing that came out of that was um, I went to university. Um, I continued playing semi-professional rugby, so again, 
quite good money for, yeah, yeah. for a boy going through uni. Um, and I, I came into teaching through what's called a graduate teaching program. Um, I did my three-year degree, um, history and politics. Um, and uh, I did my one-year almost PGC on the job training. Um, and then I was straight into teaching four-year-olds, which was... That's amazing. Yeah. People never really associate a big burly rugby player with with little kids, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it was almost my, my perfect job. I loved the age group. Yeah. Um, I loved the kids in the area I was working in in England. And then Saudi Arabia turns up. Um, but I've still maintained that, that sporting background. Um, getting a bit older now at 31, um, things are a bit harder, so um, I don't do the, the strong man stuff anymore, the truck yeah. pulling, which I, I got into with my athletics career. Um, but we're still very sporty, running, yeah. cycling. We run a rugby club out here, which is something that actually, great club. actually helped the um, the unit because I've got experience of setting up a, a rugby club from scratch in Saudi Arabia. Um, so I'm almost moving now more to, to that than my sporting things, but I still still like to think I can yeah. get out there. Yeah. And, it's, and you know, my background's American football, so I chose American football at a young age, played all the way through uh, university. And a lot of my teammates uh, from university either became firemen, cops, or teachers, mm. the good majority of them. So it's one of those, uh, like, playing high-level competitive sport, it seems like, you know, athletes always end up in one of those professions. So I guess to close off the show, what's your, your biggest takeaway from your sporting background that, that really transferred over to uh, good teaching? I think probably the biggest thing for me was because I was trying to um, certainly towards my, my late teens um, and I was getting to university college. It was that discipline to to get my my academic work done. Yeah, you Plus still obviously training yeah. five days a week, getting up at five a.m. to go for a run, and then getting to college and being disciplined to get your homework done when yeah. you, you had a session to get to. It's that discipline and kind of respect. Um, different things and obviously I was involved in um, a, a personal sport like discus and hammer throwing where it's just you and also team sports it's having that balance and skills to deal with both um, obviously in a team you're dependent on others to, to do their role yeah. um, whereas in athletics if you don't perform on the day it's pretty much down to, down to you yeah. um, and it's just those kind of skills and just I, I can't think of I, I love my childhood I love what I did as a teenager and I, I kind of I wouldn't wouldn't change anything yeah, yeah. Um, and even though I didn't make it to the top top level um, it's a it's a great thing for kids and almost try trying every sport and adapting and, and figuring out where, different different where types of people yeah, yeah it's a yeah. it's a great background and, and thing for kids to do yeah um, so yeah just that that discipline that drive determination mm -hmm. Sport is a, a great motivator and, and life skill. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, and just listening to what you said about being in uni and, and having to study, I mean, in order to keep participating in playing sport, you had to achieve a certain level in school. So if you were failing in school, so our, our football program, you were out. Yeah. You know, so it, for me, it was all about football, football, football my first couple of years. And I, I was getting by in school. But it wasn't until my third season where I was like, wow, I'm going to walk out of this, not only with an amazing sport experience, but I'm going to walk out with a university degree as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think for me, that's when I really started to take pride in, in being a student as well and yeah. not having to 
not forcing myself to study, but actually just building it in through discipline. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think possibly my my hardest time in life was I think it was it was when I was doing my teacher training. So it was it was hard. It was a condensed year. At the end of it, you were going to be a, a qualified teacher, um, and I was still playing semi professional rugby. Plus, I'd just got engaged to be married. Um, and really the, the rugby was, um, it was kind of waning off. I was coming towards the end. I was gradually dropping down the, the semi-professional ranks because my, my teaching and my, my academic side was coming through. And yeah. obviously as you get older, the need to earn money and get a career, rugby yeah. was never going to be that. Um, and it's kind of, it's hard. Life is hard, but yeah. kids should, kids should learn that. And yeah. it was, it was a tough time, but also when you've got a, literally finish work, get to training, then come home and do your schoolwork in preparation for tomorrow. It's a hard thing. So you're, sure you're getting up at 5am, you're getting at 10 o'clock, but I tell you what, there's plenty more hard things in life. And yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Simon, hey, thank you very much. Yes, that, was, that was great chatting with you. Um, everybody, uh, the show notes will, um, hopefully I'll have some pictures I can put in the show notes of the podcast. But uh, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode uh, with Simon Bissell. And next week we have Melissa McQuaid. So as always, John and I will do a little debrief and, and chat about what we've heard in this podcast with Simon. And I guess I'll just start uh, by saying as as I recorded with Simon and really listened to his story, um, in particular what he did in this unit in regards to empowering students to um, have voice and choice. I think the idea that he actually, when they came up with the idea to run a sports day, that's a huge event. And that required uh, going beyond the walls of the classroom, involving lots of different people, and really uh, working hard to ensure that the event was organized as best that it could be organized. And as a classroom teacher, when kids come up with ideas, we can be uh, very quick sometimes to shoot them down because the ideas are too big and they require too much work. Uh, In this case, Simon could have easily shut it down and said, no, we're not going to do that. Too much work is involved. Uh, But instead, he really gave them the opportunity to um, have a vision and to help them organize that vision and make it a reality so and as he said you know let them fail along the way because in letting them fail when they were organizing this they really had to learn from that and to to move forward so I think what I really respected was the fact that he didn't shoot down their idea because it was too big in order to make it more manageable for himself, he just totally ran with it and let them do what they wanted and was a a support for them along the way. So I really appreciated that when I heard Simon's story. Mm. What about you? I I, I agree that I'm really impressed at how he's embedded action into that unit. Um, I mean, it arose from action, really, which I'm I'm totally knocked out about. Also, making that connection with the enhancements of the PYP and how he's looking at the learning environment. And as you say, he went beyond the walls of his classroom. He could have played it safe. He didn't. He went and he really let them go. And and he was there to pick them up, dust them down when they made mistakes. Mm-hmm. So he scaffolded them, but he did allow them to make those mistakes. Yeah, uh, and allowed kids within the group to become leaders and um, 
learn more about leadership along the way as, as well. That was that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and I'm also really pleased that he uh, he did this podcast because he's sharing sharing that learning with the rest of our community. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. So um, those are our reflections for uh, this episode. Uh, Next week, we're hoping to have Melissa McQuaid on the show. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode uh, with uh, Simon Bissell and uh, John and I. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.